For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Duncan had it. They turned it over. alley back to Kevin. Oh, baby! Hello and welcome to another edition of the A Wolf Among Wolves podcast. I am not Brendan Hedke. Uh, I'm Tim Fakeless. I'm the editor-in-chief of A Wolf Among Wolves. Brendan was gracious enough to let me take the reins of the podcast for an episode. And with that, I thought of no better pair of people to bring on than a couple of folks that I podcasted with, what, twice a week for about a year. Um, I started a wolf or Wolves Wired with a guy named Zach Bennett. We did it for about three years. Uh, I spent a year working full-time covering the Wolves and kept the podcast going, but we changed a couple things up and we brought on two people, David Naylor first, Dane Moore second. I think Dane, you were like part of this massive round table with way too many people the first time you came on. And, but you were so good that we kept you on permanently after that. And uh, they've gone on to do awesome stuff. David's well, he's at an Arby's parking lot right now, but he's in Kansas City. I uh, just finished covering the, the Loons win over Sporting KC last night. And Dane just announced that he's going to be doing stuff with Blue Wire for his Dane Moore NBA podcast. So uh, how are both of you? It's great to see both of you again. Thank you for being part of this. Subscribe to Dane's Patreon. <laughs> All right. Hi, guys. Um, oh, thank you. Subscribe. Patreon, pay his bills. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's good. It's good to be back starting talking with you guys because that's, you know, I think for all, well, not you, Tim, but David and I is really where we first started, you know, doing podcasts consistently about the Timberwolves. And, you know, obviously life's weird like that. And it kind of moves in different directions. And, you know, here it is, it's 2020 and everything's weird as hell. And that's what I'm doing for a job. So it's... uh. I have very fond memories of, of chatting with you guys. It's better when we could do it in person, but it's it's good to it's good to hang out for a little bit. There there are yeah. some advantages to the new setup, though. I mean, we get you're, to just go back to what we're doing, and 
uh, if, if you couldn't hear David, I'm going to say it again at the beginning here. I'll say it at the end, but uh, Dane started a Patreon. It's patreon.com backslash Dane Moore NBA. Uh, I subscribed a couple days ago. Dane's podcast is, I mean, it's no wolf wired, but it's pretty damn good. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a fantastic pod. The one you did with Britt just a couple days ago, one of my favorite listens so far this fall. Go check that out. Um, but we are not here to talk about other podcasts. We're here to talk <laughs> about <laughs> the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, so I kind of want to just jump right in. And Dane, you were the first person I wanted to check in with. You've been at, as far as I know, every media availability so far. Um, and thus far, I know D'Lo talked yesterday or two days ago. Ricky Rubio has been introduced. Ed Davis has been introduced. Uh, what are your impressions of the new guys so far? And also, like, what do you think about what Ryan and what Gerson have said about the new guys, specifically the rookie Anthony Edwards and then Ricky and, and Ed Davis? What have, what, what have you gathered so far from them? Anything stick out? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's just really important whenever you think about the Timberwolves to think about how any new incoming piece, whether it be a coach or – a front office or a player, you know, connects to Carl Anthony Towns. And we, we sort of have these new variables in the mix, right? With, uh, with Ricky Rubio and Anthony Edwards. And it's funny that I feel like Rubio is some, has become the main attraction related to that, whether it's just in the fan base or in these, you know, Zoom medias. But at the end of the day, the Timberwolves do not have enough talent, did not have enough talent on their team with a core of, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, and a bunch of guys, you know, making 5 million bucks. So, you know, that's, that's the question is how do you, how do you surround, how do you maximize your resources to surround Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell with, you know, the necessary talent. And what's fascinating, I think about Edwards and Rubio is it's two extremely different paths to doing that. Um, one being a 30 year old and one being a 19 year old, meaning, you know, Ricky's kind of already at what he is and, Edwards is inherently an unknown. So it's been, it's been cool to hear, you know, I feel like we're gathering it. I don't think I have everything finalized in my head, but, you know, picturing what it's going to look like with Ricky Rubio on the floor with those guys, where does Anthony Edwards fit? How does a player like Anthony Edwards fit with Carl Anthony Towns? Those are the questions, not only that define the season, but to me, I think define whatever this next chapter of Timberwolves basketball is going to be. I mean, remember when back in the day when we used to always talk about there's kind of these, two windows with the Tibbs era. You got like the first sort of window, right? With, with what, when Tibbs came in with Jimmy and those guys, and then what's the next window going to be this window. This is the window now. Like we're, we're in that with this cat Tilo and what's on the roster group. And you know, it's, it's kind of do or die with this. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And I think if, if one thing stuck out to me in terms of just sound bites, I've seen, thus far uh, dan i'm gonna mention your podcast again uh i think Britt robson made a great observation or point when he talked about the potential for a little bit of unrest with d'angelo russell with the acquisition of ricky rubio and sure. how i mean d'angelo russell he's he's made an all-star game he's a 20 point a game scorer he was traded for I mean, he's got a max contract. He's supposed to be one of the two guys on the team. Uh, and then you bring in Ricky Rubio, who 
I know you remember Jeff Teague talking about him uh, <laughs> when he was brought in and Ricky Rubio was traded out. Like, it's just kind of a thing in the league. I, I think uh, Minnesotans love of Ricky Rubio is so intense that if you're another point guard on the Timberwolves, specifically D'Angelo Russell, I could see how that could be a little disconcerting. And when he was asked about it, not only did he call him Rick, which was hilarious, uh, <laughs> yeah. he he seemed to really embrace the idea of not just playing with a guy of his, with his passing ability, but playing with a guy that seems to lift off guards. He mentioned Devin Booker. He mentioned Donovan Mitchell. And that to me says a couple things. One, that uh, he's open to the idea of playing off the ball, which is big because I think it, it seems clear that that's going to happen. And two, he seems, he doesn't, he doesn't seem uh, put off by the idea of having a guy of Rubio's caliber on the team. And that might be Carl Anthony Towns just saying, Hey, Ricky's cool. He's a good, he's a good point guard, good playmaker, whatever have you. It might be D'Lo playing with the media knowing how to speak to the media. But overall, I think, I don't know, that set off or that got it off to a good start in my mind um, in a scenario that could have gone another way initially. Well, and, and Ricky said kind of the same thing in his comments, right? I don't remember if this was in his media comments or in, the piece that John Krasinski had with him on the athletic where they like, he talked about his feelings coming back where like Ricky had Ricky talked about one of the things that's changed in the last three years since he left Minnesota and has come back is that he's had to learn how to play with somewhat ball dominant scores like Donovan Mitchell, like Devin Booker. And that's been a change in his game that like the, the best scorer that Ricky Rubio played with at the two on, on the Timberwolves was either, Kevin Martin or second year Zach Levine, second, third year Zach Levine. And neither of their, they are both guys who were more comfortable catching and shooting than they ever were on the ball, Zach in particular. So it's, it's a skilled development from Ricky that it's Timberwolves fans. No one love Ricky Rubio. We've been over that storyline. It's one of the things that I think, it could look different this time in some ways because there are things that Ricky's going to have learned in the last three years. It's a hundred percent going to look different. I mean, Ricky Rubio plays basketball different now. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a, that's just a, a fact. If you, if you turn, if you turn on a reel of not just highlights, actually probably don't watch highlights, but you've actually watched a Timberwolves basketball game when he was playing for Tibbs or Sam Mitchell or Rick Adelman, and you watch the way Ricky Rubio is used and uses himself, it looks extremely different than what he was doing under Quinn Snyder in Utah or what he was doing in, in Phoenix under Monty Williams. And, and really, this sounds weird to say, but Ricky took on more of a scoring role in mm-hmm. these, next, these, next, these last two steps where, where it, he, he was asked to shoot more. He was asked to shoot more, and that's just kind of what inherently happens when you're playing off ball a little bit more. And I'm interested to see how that kind of weaves together here um, with, you know, with D'Angelo Russell and then obviously Carl Anthony Towns too, but it's going to be really important to put him in spots to score effectively because he is going to not be in that pure point guard position all the time that we're, that we're used to, which does open up room for him to be quote unquote less productive in, in, you know, whether it's just shooting situations, we know he struggles getting to the rim. So you got to kind of like thread the needle there. But the, the good news is to David's point is that he has more experience in those type of situations and has just objectively gotten better at that, at that element of his game. So 
Yeah, there are going to be things they're going to have to figure out. Of course, anybody is going to be adjustment playing with Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns doesn't play like really anybody else in the NBA. Um, and he plays different than what he did when, when Ricky was here too. So, so, yeah, I think there's going to be some time there. But I, I, I certainly don't like – I don't view it as like square peg round hole or anything like that with Ricky fitting right. this team. And I, I would also say that like initially I, – I know it's bare bones numbers, but I look at – Rubio's time in Minnesota and I look at things like shot attempts and I look at assist numbers and when he left Minnesota his last year with Minnesota he averaged a career high in assists 9.1 instantly goes to Utah where you've got more of a variety of uh, of ways to score and just Quinn Snyder coaches differently um, and used Ricky differently to your guys's point his assist numbers dropped to 5.3 like they were almost cut in half last year they went up again, but still like, again, you, you, you mentioned it, but you watch a son's game. Ricky Rubio isn't driving up or bringing the ball up Deandre eight and setting a screen. And then offense right. is initiating. Like it almost reminded me of, this is going to be a weird comparison, but like Jeff Teague on those Atlanta teams, Jeff Teague brought the ball up, but yeah. he, he like wasn't that. initiating the offense most of the time. His assists might still be up because he's a good passer. Ricky Rubio averaged almost nine assists a game last year because he's a great passer. The Cat Horford example probably works there too. They ran, lot through, they ran a lot through Horford too in Atlanta. Exactly you know? right. Yep. And, and with Cat, yeah, I actually kind of like that. So on that note, we kind of already touched on it. Um, is Ricky Rubio going to start? Who? Okay, I've, I've been going through this in my head since Edwards was taken, since Rubio was traded for uh initially when the rubio trade went down on draft night i was convinced that either malik beasley was going elsewhere that Jarrett culver was going elsewhere that jake layman was going elsewhere one or two of those guys were gone but as of now all of everyone i mentioned still on the roster obviously d'angelo russell still on the roster josh okogi still on the roster uh i think you can say with a lot of certainty um that Wancho, Ernan Gomez is going to be the starting four. You can say with 100% certainty that D'Lo and Cat will start. So that's three-fifths of the starting lineup. How – okay, so th- these are two different questions. But who – in your mind, who would you start? This is obviously for either of you. And who do you – what do you think the opening day starting lineup is actually going to look like? I, I've been struggling with this for a while, and I just don't have an answer yet. Go ahead, David. I – it's it's such a good question because like we we know that in last year, how many games did Beasley even play after the trade? Like 14. we haven't. Yeah, it was four, So like less than fifteen games, tremendously small sample size, and he was starting all that time. But like that was also where he could start with Josh Okogie, who I think like last year Ryan's preferred starting three was Josh Okogie for. Mm-hmm as a much of the time. So like I, but you like, you can't bring Beasley off the bench now. It's, it's, mm-hmm. you've got like seven pieces for a five, five slot thing. So like, I think it, it, to the Ryan question, it feels like you, if you go by the NBA money rules, you start Ricky D'Lo, Beasley, Wancho, and Cat. Like, that feels like if you just look at, like, the the salary numbers, that's the lineup you start because those are your – I think your five most highly paid guys. They almost have to be. Mm-hmm. But, like, 
I can see an argument for depending on matchups, starting Josh instead of Malik and just making rotations. Do Ryan's Ryan's rotation is going to be so interesting to watch this year because you do have all these lineups you can do. You can put a more defensive lineup out there with Josh and and um, see what you've got. You can say, like Anthony Edwards has said he's going to work his butt off on defense. So can you put Edwards and Okogie out there and like Edwards, Okogie, Rubio, and like that's three plus defenders at all their positions at all the guard positions. But like I think. I think probably the most likely lineup to start is Malik Beasley at the three and Ricky starting with him. Dane, what do you think? Well, yeah, Tim, you, you put it right. Like, what do I, what do I, what would I do versus what do I think will, will mm-hmm. happen? I think those are probably going to be very different. Those, those yeah. yeah. And, and no, that's not to say like, God, <laughs> whatever, we're smarter or anything. I don't, Ricky Rubio is not, is not going to start. I, I think that is a place where if you want to want to have realistic conversations about this is is you start there where Rubio comes off the bench and you know that's just from some of the conversations I've had that I think entering training camp that is the plan obviously you know there's going to be room to kind of to your point David there's like seven eight guys who you could kind of put in the mix they're gonna have to gonna have to try and figure that out but as as you enter training camp if you're setting odds on it I would say it's like an 80 90 percent chance that Rubio does not start so to me that leaves us with four spots locked in. D'Lo, Cat, of course, Wancho at the four, and, and Beasley, probably to David's money point, will be, will be the fourth starter there. The fifth becomes a question of, one, do you want to put Rubio into that role um, and, and play, uh, play alongside those guys? He's, he's the best player um, to start there, but that doesn't necessarily make it the best option. Um, and then you have, you have the, the number one overall pick rule. I, number one overall picks usually start, but it is a pandemic. There's a shortened training camp. Edwards is as raw as any number one overall pick ever. He's probably the least ready to, you know, to just jump into an NBA starting role. And then the third option, I think, is Josh Okoge. Um, and and, and that, that's kind of where you're going to have to pick and choose. I'm, again, going off the assumption that I think it won't be Rubio because they're going to try and stagger as much as they can, mm-hmm. the deal and Rubio minutes. Um, it becomes an Edwards and a Kogi question. I will say, I don't think it matters. Like we're going to make a big deal over who the starters are. And I understand that is it, it matters to players and all this and that, but David, you touched on the main thing. It's about Ryan Saunders and how he effectively manages the rotations. Like it's about the rotations way more than it's about the starting line. Way more. So much more. We're, we're so used to like, I mean, since really, you know, whatever called like the past five years that the three of us have really been like focusing on this team on a day-to-day basis, you know, the benches have just been so terrible that we've just kind of passed on the idea of like getting value out of your bench rotation. It's basically been like, don't kill us. You know, can we just lose this six minutes by only three? That would be a win. Shout There's out a- to Shabbat Muhammad. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Like, but now it's, now, through, through pairing up defensive pairings or offensive pairings or Rubio with whoever, Edwards with whoever, like who do you want to stick together, that's how you end up having the potential to, to gain value once you get in, into your bench there and how, how you finagle, you know. Obviously, everybody's going to be better when they're playing with Cat. We saw mm-hmm. that with Culver last year. But when Culver wasn't with Cat, it was awful. When Culver and Akogi played together with Cat, that was like – okay because cat's that good but you play 
you play Akogi and Culver together without Cat, that's you know, it's the worst, worst possible ever. Mm-hmm. So, so it's particularly in a shortened season when every game inherently carries more weight, that there is like an opportunity for Ryan Saunders to gain multiple wins or lose multiple wins by solving this riddle. That isn't easy. I don't think it's an easy riddle to solve. No. And it's what, yeah, I think you nailed it. The, the thing I keep coming back to. So let's assume you're right. Rubio comes off the bench. Uh, if in terms of rotation, they've already talked about it, but uh, they're definitely going to be staggering the point guard position. They're also going to be playing together a little bit, which will take a few minutes away from Edwards, Beasley, Culver, mm-hmm. Lehman, some, some form of that combination. Uh, but in terms of the starting lineup, the thing I keep coming back to is just, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. If you've looked at the, the, the numbers a little bit more than I have, please correct me. What I remember most about Josh Okogie are what I remember most fondly about Josh Okogie are the moments when he came off the bench and provided a spark. And I'm not necessarily just talking about when he was a rookie and his name was getting chanted in the target center <laughs> and Tibbs would like just ignore it because he's Tibbs and not play him. But um, when he started, there were moments where, you know, he, he was great. He got the James Harden block. I don't remember if he started that game or not. Uh, but solid defender, good energy guy. I've just kind of come to the conclusion that at this point, unless his jumper makes big strides, that he might be a better fit as an energy guy off the bench. And Can I jump in there, Tim? I, sure. Of course. I think, Please correct I think it, me if I'm wrong. No, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I think it's interesting because he could fit into two different roles. He could be the energy guy off the bench, right? Mm-hmm. And that would make sense. I think you're right there. But what he could also do, kind of given his game, is be the low usage fifth guy. Like those are particularly, you know what I'm saying? Like if you yes. have yes. D'Lo and Cat, who are going to be these high usage guys, you know, Malik's going to get his shots. Like you kind of, you kind of want to play a fifth guy who's just going to not really need the ball. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, yep, I've, I've got a point here, and you're on, you're on the same track I am. Because I, I'm, I don't know if this is going to be called a hot take or not, but th- this is where my head has gone. Um, I love the idea of Anthony Edwards and Ricky Rubio being a couple pieces that come off the bench and just provide an additional spark, a scoring spark. Um, yeah. Rubio scoring spark, obviously, in a different way than Edwards is. Uh, and I love the idea of Okogi running with those guys off the bench. I think that's a pretty strong bench, at least in the backcourt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that still leaves an open spot in the starting lineup. Um, and the name that I think kind of falls by the wayside because he's just a less sexy name. He's less interesting is Jake Lehman. And I in terms of, saying, I'm paying for this <laughs> in terms of low usage fifth guys, uh, I think Lehman fits pretty well. I, I know he's not, um, he's not paid as well to David's point And maybe, maybe that makes a difference. I'm not sure it does in Ryan Saunders mind. Um, but in terms of a guy that you can start the game with, a guy that can score, can get into or get at the rim, and as far as I've seen, I, I guess I haven't watched enough Jake Lynn because he was hurt last year. He seems like a solid defender, a good defender. Um, and if you want to have that really strong spark off the bench, I, he's the one that I've kind of come to the conclusion that I would, I'd like to see start. I think Okogi and Beasley are going to be the two starters on day one. That's just a guess. It's an experience thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of it's a money thing, but 
that means that all five guys from last year's roster are in the starting line. There's a little bit of familiarity there. <laughs> Granted, Cat and Dilo only played one game together. Uh, <laughs> I think familiarity matters on day one, especially in a shortened season. Bringing in Ricky, I, he's kind of a human super glue. I, I think he fits pretty well into anything. Edwards is a little bit more of a question mark. So that, that's where my head goes. That's what I think will happen. But Layman's just a guy that I think would be interesting as the fifth starter. And I still think you can use interesting rotations with Flamin as the fifth star. Cause I don't think he necessarily needs to play the fifth most or anything like that. I think Edwards could certainly play quite a bit at the three. Okogi could play more sort of like Irvin Johnson. If we want to kick it back to Oh four, if you want to do it I, that way. I think Trevion Graham is, is a more recent example than, than Irvin much, Johnson. Much more. Recent <laughs> example. No, but, but seriously, I think, I think I know you're saying that's maybe what you would do, but if we are drawing on, past Saunders decisions like we did the same thing we had the same conversation last year Who, who's going to be the fifth starter mm-hmm. and Good point. and I remember I wrote something and I think it was you know I considered uh you know considered layman considered if it was going to be Culver considered if it would be Noah Vonley considered if it would be Jordan <laughs> Bell and yeah. then like I, I went through all the options and like pros and cons and then sure enough day one he goes with Trevion Grant uh, mm-hmm. kind of out of nowhere but two but for the reasons that you're bringing up because he is that low usage guy, because the reason Ryan did it, and maybe it wasn't the right move. I don't know. Trevor Graham was kind of bad, but it was because he could get what he expected. Like Trevor Graham was going to do what Ryan told him to do. Mm-hmm. It's like spot up, take those threes, play, play your ass off. You're going to defend the point of attack. Like if you give Jake Lehman four things to do, he's going to do them. He's not going to blow you away with them, but maybe it, to your point in the fifth role, the fifth spot, like that's just what you need. Yeah. And I think you hit it towards the end there. Uh, I don't know how good Travion Graham is. Uh, Jake Lehman had come with a two-year deal immediately. So, uh, like, I, I think Jake Lehman is just a better basketball player than Travion Graham and would do better, but I completely forgot about that debate. You're 100% right. That was 100% a thing. The complexion of the roster has obviously changed. Last year's roster included Robert Covington, Andrew Wiggins, and Jeff Teague. Um, this year's roster does not. So uh, I, I'm curious to see how how that works out. And last year, if I recall, there were questions about whether Rocco was going to be a three or a four, which is why people like Jordan Bell or Noah Vonley were being brought up. It's very clearly a, a wing player this year, which slims down the options a little bit. Unless Wancho isn't a guarantee. I, I think we're all assuming he's probably a yeah. set as the four. Um, that's the only way I could see something crazy happening, but I, I expect Wancho to start at the four to start David, the year. David, what do you think, and, and you too, Tim, what do you think the closing lineup will be? Cause I think that is ultimately kind of gets to the, to the question that kind of ties in both. It's the starters right. with the rotation kind of thing that, that we're highlighting. And quite frankly, it just matters more, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like it's, I was thinking about this. It, when you have a close game, six minutes left, the clutch time example, like what is your clutch time lineup? Sure. It's like, cause I think just you, you can make the offense, defense subs, you can do all these things. It feels like it, it is it better to have Ricky and Delo together at, 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 in clutch time, just so you have your best tools on the floor at the same time. That, I would say so. Like, 
I, I think that makes sense to me. <laughs> but people will cite people will cite how bad remember how bad Ricky's clutch numbers were here in the in those in those situations. No, I think that's like kind of overblown. I think the team just sucked at the like in the last five minutes of games. Like I think they were. Just I admittedly have not looked at his clutch numbers in Phoenix, but they can't have been that bad, right? Particularly in the bubble. Oh, I, I wouldn't. You know, I, I I wouldn't think so. I think when you need to when you really need to hone in on Ricky Rubio's clutch numbers because Ricky Rubio is putting up enough clutch plays to have clutch numbers. I mean, I think that's part of the issue, right? Like. <laughs> This time around, he's got at least two guys ahead of him that should be taking shots. So, yes, I agree. But I think he's definitely in there. I mean, I think it's definitely in the closing lineup, Chico, D'Lo, and Rubio are, are, are both the pieces there because, because I don't know, I mean, but Rubio's the fourth best player on the team. Like, you probably want to close maybe the third, yeah. you know. You, you want to close the game, you know, with your best players. And I think, you know, Beasley, you put him in there at the three – Obviously, Cat at the five. And now our question, I think, kind of shifts more up to the four. Do you want to have Wancho out there who's going to provide offense in, in the form of space in the floor through three-point shooting? Or I'm telling you, man, and I don't think people believe this, but Josh Okoge is going to play the four this year. And I think that, I is, think the, so. that, is, the type of, that is the type of spot where you can put him in. You know, Josh, kind of like what Tim was saying – He's given you that energy that night. He is, he has been that spark, whatever role he was in. And you kind of like, you kind of roll with him and you just have him like play the whole fourth quarter. He was in initially with the, the, the second unit, but then you just ride it out because he's having a game. He's, he's making, you know, he's making plays. And I think if you have him out there with, with D'Lo and Beasley and Cat, you already have three really good um, offensive options, three really good shooters. If Rubio is able to be like a decent catch and shoot guy, it doesn't kill you if you have one guy out there who can't shoot so long as he's providing, you know, other things, you're not gonna be able to do it against the Lakers, but there's a, there's a lot of teams where, you know, you can get by, I think with Josh at the four, just because other teams fours aren't like, can be like, okay, mouse in the house. Like let's post up Josh Akogi. Now go away from their whole offense. Like that just doesn't happen in the NBA. I, I don't know. I, th- this might be a cop-out answer. I think it's going to depend on, two things and I assume this is what Ryan Saunders would say but it's going to depend on who's playing well at the time and matchups if you're playing Philadelphia and they have (laughs) Dwight Howard Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid on the floor at the same time you're not putting Josh Okogie at the four you might have Ed Davis out there you might have Wancho out there Uh, I think a lot of it's going to depend on uh, Ricky Rubio's three-point shooting went up last year it was saw what 35%, something like that. Like a, an acceptable number. Um, 41 on catch and shoots. See 41 yep. on catch and shoots. Beautiful. If he's doing that, he's going to close every game. Yeah. If those numbers don't hold, I think he falls back into the conversation of, do you close with him or do you not close with him? I think Beasley, D'Lo and cat are pretty set in stone closing players. Right. I think a lot of it will depend otherwise on who you're playing. And I think it's going to depend on how you're playing. If Anthony Edwards surprises and plays way better than expected out of the gate and is playing like Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker um, in their rookie years, of course, uh, (laughs) he's going to close more games. Uh, If Wancho's just bricking everything, maybe Ed Davis is closing a game. I think, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm generalizing too much. I just, I like coaches that don't have a set closing lineup every game. Uh, Tom Thibodeau had a set closing lineup every game. Ryan Saunders, I think, is a little bit more willing to switch it up depending on who's playing well. Uh, I think we have three guys that are set in stone and probably four, 
And this kind of comes back to the same thing with the starting lineup. It's a different conversation, but I don't, I think the fifth guy is a little bit of a wild card every game. Joshua Kogi will probably, I, I like the idea of him playing some four. Um, I think Wancho is going to be in there sometimes and Edwards is going to have a hot game in there where he's going to close the game too. That's where my head goes. Goes back to finding the, like what Ryan's got to do is I don't think it's about, you know, to use the, the stat thing. I don't think it's about what your five man lineups are. I think it's about finding two and three man groups that mm-hmm. find, that find effectiveness through being an all offense group. They're being a all defense group. They're being a, you know, somewhere in the middle sort of group. Like those those are the buttons that Ryan's going to have to push. And really, I, I'm interested to see how he does. He's never really had the opportunity to do that. Every one of those has been mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, now the third guy is Jared Bayless. Oh, the third guy is, uh, you know, I, Trevion Graham, whatever. Like, he's finally got, you know, 10 guys that seem like competent rotation players on the team. We haven't talked about Jarrett Culver at all in this rotation. That was going to be my final question on the rotation. <laughs> there is not, not room for – unless unless we're we're going way small at the four, Wancho's a four, and Ed Davis is strictly a five, which is possible. I, I, which I would say, Tim, I think Davis is a five. Like I think strictly Davis, a five. Never going to play with Cat. I mean, going off of last year mm-hmm. – and, and, and Davis has played five, too. Like, that's what was his role last year in Utah. Like, yep. I'm not saying True. he can't play power four, but if we look at the ways that the, the Wolves have utilized the bigs, it's like he doesn't really fit into what they've done at power mm-hmm. forward unless it's like they kind of dinked around with Jordan Bell at the four a little bit. Maybe there's some of that. I mean, Jordan Bell played a lot against the Lakers, maybe situationally, but generally speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm entering the season viewing at Davis as the backup five. Okay, so let's assume that. Um, I don't have the line. I don't have like a lineup card in front of me, but <laughs> let's pretend Davis is strictly a five. That means again, to your point, a, a wing player is going to play the four, whether it's Okogi, Lehman, Edwards, you know, some guy that isn't traditionally a four or even in this new age of NBA positionless basketball is yeah. going to play a four on a traditional NBA roster. Uh, does that make room for Jarrett Culver? I don't know if it does still, because you're still playing Jake Lehman. You're still playing Joshua Kogi, Malik Beasley. Anthony Edwards is going to get at least, even if he's not good right away, he's going to get 15 minutes a game. Um, yeah, unless, he, you know, unless he's just atrocious, which I, I don't see happening. Um, the, all of those guys, Ricky Rubio is going to get minutes at the one with D'Lo at the two. Wh- where does that leave Culver? I, I think you might, one of you tweeted about it. Is Jarrett Culver going to play? <laughs> I mean, uh, honestly... Who's making the rotation decisions? Is it Gershon Rosas? Is it Ryan Saunders? You know, and we've we've seen that in the NBA before. We don't really know how it work, how that exactly works with Gershon and Ryan, but it's not like it's unprecedented that a front office has say on playing the guy that they spent a first round pick on. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like Ryan is against Jared. I don't I don't really know, but if he starts end up kind of finding a rhythm where he's like, Oh, this is my eight, nine man unit or like there are guys that I'm playing and Culver isn't in there. Is there going to be pressure, you know, to put him in there over, you know, somebody who they're not as committed to. There is value as well in developing Jared Culver. So it's kind of goes back to the whole starting lineup thing. Is it, is it what we would do or is it what we think? Exactly right. Well, you know, will happen. Um, Culver, I mean, 
last year was a bummer. And, and he's, we got it. He's going to get the chance to play some and, and where, where is he at mentally? You know, where, where, Mm -hmm. how does, how does he string that together? That that's how he defines his minutes. He's going to get his shot, but if he comes off looking similar to what he did last year, Ryan Saunders, who's going to be trying to push this team towards the playoffs Mm -hmm. will not be incentivized to just roll him out there over like a Jake Lehman who, you know, he, it's just, you kind of more so know what you're going to get, which is at least like 50% of your free throws made. Yep. If, if the Wolves weren't going to play Jarrett Culver this year, based on the moves that they've made, I think there would have been a much more, uh, yeah, much stronger attempt to trade him this off season. And that seems to not be happening. That's the tea leaf for sure. Which, yeah, I think he's going to play. I don't know if that means they're just going to play an 11-man lineup and it's a shortened season. We're in COVID. In soccer, yeah. they were doing like five, six subs a game or whatever as opposed to three. Maybe in basketball, the, the new thing is going to be fewer minutes for players and just deeper rotations. I don't know. Uh, I think he's going to play to answer my own question. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how much. I think in terms of what I was talking about before, um, he is uh, probably the most likely to play his way out of the rotation if he continues to shoot poorly. Um, but he could also get better in the line poorly. He could also exactly right. If his it's shooting not like a high improves, bar, yeah. it's a, his shooting is at in terms of bars. Yeah, it's at the floor right now. He if his free throw shooting goes up to sixty five percent and he's a below average three-point shooter suddenly but he's still got the handle he had and he's you know his finishing wasn't great but it wasn't bad he's a good defensive option too he's, yeah exactly right there like there's value in that mm-hmm. and it, if they st- if they decide eventually that ricky russell beasley and edwards are the backcourt group going forward mm-hmm. they need to play him to trade him otherwise his value is going to go out the window so if nothing else they need to play him just to boost his value a little bit for the trade deadline or for next off season. Like he needs to play if he's going to be on the team for that alone, unless they're just going to cut off his team option at the end of the year. I, I've been as hard as anyone has on, on, on Jared Culver, but what I will say, and what I will say is a lot of that is judged by just watching the tape, watching him, watching him play the way he plays and the way he seems to, you know, kind of carry himself when he's out there a little bit nervous, but, but David, if you, if you wrote like actually dig through the, like, lineup data the, the net ratings like a lot of guys best two-man pairing or what some of their best three-man groups like Jared Culver is in, in, involved in those and DeAndre also it's super small it was like 119 minutes I think but his best two-man pairing was with Jared Culver like and you can find you can it's hard because they're all so small but you can find things where you're like well it doesn't look very good but there were some results in the time that that Culver played together. Well, and that's the thing we have to remember about all of this. With Culver, with the guys who have been here and the guys who haven't, we've had 14 games of seeing like half of this roster (laughs) kind of played together. We don't have any real idea how this clicks together, even with the guys that are here. Like we made the the concrete we know is like Josh Okogie and Kat can play together. They, that's the only two-man lineup in this entire team that we have real sample size for in the last five years. Maybe watch on Malik a little bit, but that's in different places and in stuff. A different team. Like, <laughs> it, it, we, we have to remember that a little bit. And, like, it's, 
it, it it's we can we can prognosticate and project, but we barely have data to go off of for this for oh, anybody. That's why that's why it's about. I mean, that's what I think is kind of fun about it is is you can't oh, really yeah. like you can't really can't really come into an argument or a conversation with this with a sword made out of like cleaning the glass numbers, you know, like you've, you've, you've kind of got to be like, this is how this guy plays. This is how this guy plays. And, you know, in my interpretation, those type of two players will go well together or would go well with this point guard. And, and those, those are the, to me, are the more fun questions to have. They're, they're, they're more of a, it's more of a, a riddle and it's more of a basketball question, you know? Um, and it's something I think we're going to have to, to go through because we're going to start jumping on conclusions after five, 10 games, but historically none of that stuff really starts to stick out in any sort of meaningful way. I always say until like 20 games into the season, that's when you can, then you can start coming to me with lineup data and be like, Oh, okay. Like I see that this, this pairing has been effective. And I guess that kind of like craps on my point of Culver's pairings before, but it's just, you, there's like less of a grain of salt if we actually see these guys play for more than the 14 games that they played together last year or, or what have you. How about we go even smaller? <laughs> Sorry, what's that? That's my, that's my last take. I'm going to miss seeing Nasrid minutes. <laughs> yeah. I don't, think, I don't think you're going to get those. <laughs> I don't think maybe so in, either. Maybe in Iowa. Maybe you'll be able to see some Nasrid maybe, minutes, true. David. Uh, Jared, Vanderbilt, Jared Vanderbilt party in Iowa. It's going to be great. <laughs> The biggest question mark guy. I, I want to write about how I know absolutely nothing about Jared Vanderbilt, yet find myself excited about him still for some reason. Anyway, uh, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. He's Talk jacked. About, he's jacked. He's, he's, he's very big, strong. And- he's no Andrew Wiggins, but he's very strong. Thank you, thank you for your Photoshop of Andrew Wiggins with, like, barrel-sized biceps earlier today. That was great. What do you mean? What Photoshop? Isn't that just him? It is him. That wasn't a Photoshop. He just posed again. <laughs> hey, let's talk about uh, you. We were talking about pairings and small sample sizes. And in terms of the pairing with maybe the smallest sample size of guys that have actually played together are the two best players on the team. Uh, yep. D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. Is there, I, I just based on watching them play basketball, I don't see a scenario where they're, they don't gel fairly well together offensively. Not just the fact that they're friends. They're both excellent shooters. Delo's a good passer. Cats and I don't give a like, shit about any of that. Like, I mean, sorry, I, I'm cutting you off, but it's going to be so good. And I think you guys both know me enough to be like, I'm not somebody who's just out here like pumping Timberwolves air into the tires. Like that's, that's not me. This pairing of Cat and Delo is going to be so much better than – what I like when I put my finger to the wind and like us hear what people talk about this team, like those two look at the dudes that D'Angelo Russell has played with in his career. They suck. They suck. There's, there's, there's the, the I'm going to pull this up here right now. These are the, these are the guards who D'Angelo Russell has played with most in his career. Dane, I'll you can cut me you. off anytime. You're just going to pump this up. That's fine. No, this is, it's, it's crazy. These are the guards D'Angelo Russell played with most in his career. Rookie year, Jordan Clarkson and Kobe Bryant. Farewell to our court, Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Next year, Nick Young, Jordan Clarkson. By the way, the net rating with Jordan Clarkson in 721 minutes was minus 18 and a half. That's then, he goes to, then he goes to Brooklyn and he plays, his two guys he plays with most are Alan Crabb and, and like rookie year Karis LeVert. After that, he goes and he plays with Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert. Kind of competent rotation players. Last year in Golden State, the two guards he played with most are Damian Lee and Jordan Poole. 
That's terrible. It's so terrible. And the bigs are like Roy Hibbert, Timothy Mozgov, Julius Randle, like Willie Cauley-Stein on the Warriors. He hasn't played. He hasn't played with rotation players in his mm-hmm. career. And man, I, I watched all of it. I see the defense looks so stupid. Like, I, I see that with D'Angelo Russell, man. But you got to put it in context of, like, he's playing with good players now, decent players now. Ricky mm-hmm. Rubio's a good guard. Malik Beasley's a good guard. Well, in comparison okay. to those names, I mean, it's it's, it's So, hey, hey, hold on. I'm cutting you off now. Okay, Malik good. Beasley averaged, what, 20 a game last year? He, he played well enough to get the contract he has now because of those 14 games. Sure. What percentage of that I'm, – I'm letting you build on your point here. What percentage of that is because D'Lo is good at building other guys up? Yeah, I mean, I think – Like, how reliant is Malik Beasley on a guy like D'Lo giving him space? And to that point, when he has Cat and D'Lo and Ricky, for that matter, another guy that can build other players up, uh, how, good is, how good in your guys' mind is D'Lo not just at scoring and being a good basketball player and being – better because of players around him how much better is he making other people does that make sense yeah he's he will give space to guys to get going like he he in that way is a point guard and he did that and like in brooklyn he did that and those were when he was playing with competent guys it's like that's when dinwiddie started getting some momentum that's when levert started getting some momentum and and that was in part due to deal i'm not even saying he's like this like an elite, elite passer or something, but he has this recognition of like the rhythm of a basketball game. It's like Malik's going off right now. Like I'm going to let that happen. And I think that's, he isn't like a, we got to pass the baton. I got to have it now for these, this quarter. Like I, I do think he's, he's a point guard at heart who will play basketball in a way that will lead to winning. He like understands that path. And that means with the exception of Jimmy Butler, D'Lo will become the best player the Cats ever played with. And on top of that, he will now be playing in a system that's going to feature Carl Anthony Towns as opposed to just kind of have him on the side. Like, Carl Anthony Towns made the All-Star game in the year that Jimmy Butler was on his team, but, like, you both watched it. We were, we were hosting a podcast together that year. Carl's mm-hmm. offensive output was not what it probably should have been, um, and it's not going to be what it is this year. So together, hopefully, in an ideal world, the two of them kind of explode offensively um, considering they're actually going to be featured properly together. Uh, I don't know. I don't see how, I don't see how it doesn't. I just don't see how that doesn't happen. And that's not to say the defense is going to be any good. Mm -hmm. I just feel like the current perception of D'Angelo Russell as we sit here in the beginning of December compared to what the perception of D'Angelo Russell is going to be come whenever like the all-star break is this year Mm -hmm. is going to be so different. I, I don't I, – I think he's going to get a chance to actually show something this year and have – and do so in an infrastructure that balances him out. And, uh, I mean, he, he's the guy – if I'm betting, like, if I'm, if I'm buying stock in someone on this team compared to what – where I understand the market to be, I'm betting on D'Angelo Russell. Good segue. This is going to be the last thing we do. We should wrap it up here. David, you sent us the player props for the year. Um, and I, uh, to, to close this podcast out, I want a rapid fire. Basically, we're going to find out who we're buying stock in, at least numerically, for what amount. So, 
I'm just going it, to – it's points per game. Re- for those that don't know, it, it's an over-under of points per game, rebounds, assists, et cetera, for various players that are going to be playing this year. And uh, these are the lines that they are at. So I don't want us to necessarily spend a whole bunch of time unless one of these numbers is insanely interesting. <laughs> uh, I we think could just, that there are we'll two that are down. insanely interesting. What's that? I think there are two that are insanely interesting. Well, maybe we'll deep dive into those. We'll see. Okay. First one here. Over under for points per game for Carl Anthony Towns at 26 and a half. What do you guys got? You go first, David. I got under. Okay, so I'm pulling it up. What did he average last year? 26 and a half, so they just did his exact number. Um, I mean, yeah, because this goes to the Malik point that we were talking about before. It's like, I don't like when people say this, there's not going to be enough basketballs to go around, but Cat got all the basketballs last year. You know what I'm yep, saying? Every single one. <laughs> and, you know, to, to that extent, like, I think – I think an issue that is going to come this year is Malik not like accepting being not the number one or number two option. Cause there will be, there will be some cannibalization, I think in, in Malik and in cat in that way. I think both of them are kind of the opposite of what I was talking about with the whole rhythm thing with D'Lo, right? Like where they're kind of like, Oh, things aren't working time for me to go get it myself. And I, I'm, I'm interested to see the dynamic of those two play together who played two games together last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see how cat can score more <laughs> than he did last year. So I yeah, guess under with this, there's there, there are going to be more buckets coming from other places than there have at basically any other point in his career in Minnesota. Right. I, I think his points will go down and I don't think that's a bad thing for the team. Not at all. All right. The next one is Carl Anthony towns rebounds per game. The number is 11.5. So last year he averaged 10.8, but the three years prior he averaged over 12. Right. Uh, I'm going, I'm looking at the team. I'm looking at the complexion of the roster. I don't see how, I don't see a lot of rebounders on this team. Uh, Like obviously Kat and Ed Davis are good rebounders. Wancho's okay. Ricky Rubio is a solid defender at his position as is D'Angelo Russell. I see him going over that number. I, I don't, if nothing else, he will average more rebounds per game than he did last year. That's my why it, here's a question. Why did he average less rebounds last season? It's a great question. I don't know. I don't have a good it's not, answer. It's not that. like, it's not like he was with some rebounding behemoth in Robert Covington next to him. Well, or... well, if I remember correctly, and I might not be, I remember Robert Covington's rebounds going up at the beginning of last year. Like I remember a couple Maybe it was preseason. I could be way off. But I yeah. remember Robert Covington with a couple, like, insane, at least relative to him, rebounding games to start the year. And then he got traded. That and then Cat got hurt. So, I don't I know. I do remember that, too. I, I, you, had, you had Noah Vonley. You had Jordan Bell last year. Like, you had bigger guys that could go up and get rebounds. But they didn't play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I – so, I, I you're right, think – You're right. I think a, a part of why this rebounding went down – as I now think to answer my own question, is he's playing out five out the whole time, right? So he's, he's losing. I'm sure I don't have a stat in front of me, but I'm sure his offensive rebounds went down last year um, mm-hmm. in that sense. And then I think there was also in their uber conservative defensive scheme, you know, just some more incentive to kind of get back. I, I think it's very important defensively mm-hmm. for this year that Carl Anthony Towns does rebound 
back at his his level of you know that 12 a game in previous years his offensive rebound numbers are pretty consistent uh two years ago the jimmy butler madness year his offensive rebounds went up to 3.4 but he averaged 2.7 last year and 2.9 two years ago so So that's like half the drop yeah yeah so offensively he he was basically down a full rebound per game right on the defensive rebounds yeah I don't know. I, I would say over because I think there's going to be a serious like impetus on him defensive rebounding. I think that's a way that this team gets better defensively is to clean up possessions or as a group, at least to rebound better. And there's more guys that you can run out on the break. If, if his job is more to crash the glass and let Rubio or Russell mm-hmm. or Edwards get out yeah. and go, that yeah. might be the play. Maybe it's like Kevin Love from back in the day, get the rebound and just fling it up the fling it up the court. I don't know. I don't know. I agree with you guys. Like, I, th- I think that Cat's going to have a lot of rebounds this year. I think it's going to bounce back for sure. Yeah. All right. D'Angelo Russell, 22.5 points per game. You got a take on that, David? I'm pulling up his stats. He averaged, for, for reference, he averaged 21.7 last year with the Wolves, 23.6 with the Warriors. And then his one year with Brooklyn, or his, or sorry, in 2018 with Brooklyn, he averaged 21.1. So those are his three 20 plus point scoring years. So this and the number is 22 and a half this year. The numbers, so yeah, about an average between his time in Golden State and Minnesota from last year. That feels really big. Yeah, I'm going under there too. I'm going it's, under, yeah, so, for sure. Okay, so but to be clear though, we just talked about how we think he might blow up a little this year offensively, or at least play better. But he's going to – his numbers in terms of just pure scoring, I know that doesn't necessarily indicate efficiency. Uh, I hear you're in terms saying. of bare yeah. numbers, that's an average of what he had last year without cap. Yeah. I guess I just think I, – I, my, my point of where it blows up is that, like, I do think the Wolves are going to be, like, a top five offense as a whole. And, mm-hmm. like, the instigator behind that is going to be the Cat and D-Lo pairing that will open everything up. I think that is an extremely dynamic pick and roll combination to just come down and start every possession with. So now we're opening up, you know, secondary actions for whether it's Lehman on a back cut, whether it's Rubio on a second side pick and roll, like those sort of things. It just, everything else around that initial pick and roll action, which is in itself is going to be good. Like I think becomes easier, which theoretically opens up more scoring for everyone else. And honestly, I think for David and I both speak for you, I think a reason why I'm taking under on both these guys is because I think Malik Beasley is going to shoot a ton. Mm, yep. And like, that's going to be something to navigate there as well. And Anthony Edwards too, man. Anthony Edwards played like Malik Beasley at Georgia. Mm. So, well, and this is the whole thing. Like, you, if we look, one of the things that's going to be really interesting to track this year is like percentage of team shots, right? Like, We've, we've been watching that with Cat for his entire damn career, right? Cat's mm-hmm. not getting enough shots. Cat's not getting, getting enough bites of the apple, whatever, whatever have you. Where this year, like, the percentage of shots that goes to D'Lo and Cat, as opposed to Beasley, Lehman, Edwards, Okogie, like, all these guys that are going to be getting the passes from the passing and distributing and initiating part of the team, 
I think that there are going to be more shots to go around for the everybody else core. Like, how many catch and shoots is Jake Lehman going to get in a given year? Like, if he's playing with a, playing off the D-low, the the D-low cat pick and roll, or if he's playing with Ricky off the bench and just gets a cut and gets open, right. I think there's going to be chances for other guys to increase their shots. Right. I think that I think sense. that's I, I'm with that. I'm still taking the over. I think he's going to – I think he and Cat are going to be fairly neck and neck in terms of who leads the team in scoring. And I think D'Lo is going to – I think D'Lo is going to put up more points, and uh, I'm going to get to another guy's name in a minute. I think Malik Beasley's numbers are going to go down to a point that might anger some fans considering the number of dollars that he just received. I could be wrong. Um, that, that I think that the, the question, man, is you're going to have to convince me, Malik to do that. Yep. I agree that's what should happen, of course. Like, of course, it's Cat and Dilo should be the, the ones. It's just, I don't know, man. We watched this 14 games of Malik, and that dude. I'll put it this I, way. Who, yeah. like, are you going to – is is D'Angelo Russell going to be the one that you're going to have to convince? Or, I'm sorry, is Malik Beasley going to be the one that you're going to have to convince? Or is Dilo going to be – one of the two star players and be able to make that decision on his own. I don't know. It might, it might be, uh, Probably both. yeah. Yeah. What, what's Malik's number? What's the, what's the overall? That's the next one I'm going to. So I'm going to jump around a little bit. We don't have to get into all of these Malik bleep Malik Beasley's is that Malik, 16. Malik bleepley is a pretty good one for him this week. <laughs> 16.5 points per game. Okay. David, you go. Yeah, I'm over. thinking. Over? Over. Yeah. I'm struggling. I think, I think he's going to so be too, right man. on that line. Like 15, yeah, it's fair. It's a fair line. is about what I'm expecting. Yeah. I don't think he's going to average 20 like he did in those 14 games with the Wolves. There's, I, I just don't see it happening with Cat and D'Lo playing every game. But he's going to have 20-point nights, but I don't see him being a 20-point per game score. I think 15-16 just sounds right to me. That's probably fair. I, I'm definitely buying the Beasley stock this year, so I'm going to commit to sure. it with the pick. That's a risky stock to buy, David. Yeah. I know. On I, court stock. Do you, me, do you know what? I, how many times have I taken the Wolves' win total over in the last six years? <laughs> yeah. How many times have you won? How, what was the number you picked the year we covered the team all at that 50, one place? Like, 50? No. Oh, 50? It was, and then it, they won like 48? Yeah, like it was over fifty. It was it was it was fifty or fifty-one, and everybody laughed me out of the room. Yeah, that's right. You were no, you were. I yeah. I I think the Malik Beasley thing is is the in like how that fits again. Everything ties back to Cat, and everything ties back Mm -hmm. to D'Lo. That's a really important one. How does Malik effectively tie himself to Cat and D'Lo? And really, the answer is the best way to do that is to be a better defender, and. Mm You know, he's saying the right sort of things about that. But, I mean, the defense is bad on Beasley. Like, you go back and you look, like, look at the, the way he played. I remember just, like, at the, at the deadline going back and watching some Denver stuff. And it's, it was, it's funny. He's always out there with Michael Porter Jr. And it looked exactly the same. It's that same, like, I'm processing this at a slower rate than everyone else on the floor is other than Michael. We're, we're, both, we're both on dial-up, you know. Like, mm-hmm. that's what it looked like. And I think Malik has the, the, you know, has some of the athleticism to handle it. He is very small, though. I don't think people really get that, that he's like, he's this really skinny dude. 
And, and I'm, I'm curious of what his even defensive upside is because I think hitting that and that level being kind of high is how like the cat D Beasley core is raised. It's not by Malik taking, you know, 19 shots in a game like that. They don't need mm-hmm. that. So what you're saying is you're not buying Malik saying first team all D. You're not, <laughs> you're not buying that. <laughs> I'm not, but Hey, but buy into that end. Like that's the thing is like it fo- focus in there. I mean, I think Malik wants to win. I do. Like, mm-hmm. I think he was trying to get paid, and he did. And I, I believe both things are true. I think he wanted to get paid, and I think he wants to win. I think he's a really competitive guy. The whole, like, picture he has of the Larry O'Brien, O'Brien trophy in his locker is a little cliche. But I, I think that's, like, I do think that's what drives him. I don't think he just wants to be a high-paid guy who gets 20 a game. Like, he wants to be a guy who is an important cog in a good team. and. For him to do that, it, it, he doesn't need to be the 20-point guy. He just doesn't need to. Yeah. And to your earlier point, uh, Malik Beasley and Anthony Edwards, about the same height, maybe give or take an inch. Anthony Edwards weighs 40 pounds more than <laughs> Malik Beasley. And <laughs> Anthony Edwards is built like a, like a brick house. So that's part and of it. And he's 19. Um, yeah, exactly. Malik Beasley has about five, six years on – Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards weighs 40 pounds more. Less what does it have Malik listed at? at in, in 187. One, I'm telling you, he didn't weigh that much when he was here last year. That's probably true. All right. But, we got two more that I want to get to, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Ricky Rubio. We talked about this a little bit already, the role he's going to play on the team. His over-under on assists is at 6.5. Last year, he averaged 8.8. I don't think he got over 6 with Utah. He was always over eight with Minnesota, but again, his role. Well, is yeah, the, the two years in Utah were the only two years of his career he's averaged below this number. Six point five. Yeah, yeah. The only two right. years of his career he's averaged below this number were the, were the two years in Utah. Now, I, I said, I, I said when I first saw these, it's absolutely slammed the crap out of this over number because it's you look at his career numbers and that's what you think. But as we've talked the question isn't going to be whether or not he's going to pass and get assists. It's going to be how many minutes is he going to play? Because I think that's going to be the most interesting part of this. So I'm, I still think I would take the over on this, but I'm less aggressive on it than I once was. So I think this is an interesting Santa Ricky reveal in his six years of Minnesota. He never had a usage rate over 20, which is, you know, the average, he split it up five, hundred, you know, divided Mm -hmm. by five. That's average is 20 which was a little bit surprising to me because, you know, in my head, I think of Ricky Rubio as a highly used player in his early on Timberwolves days, but usage rate does not account for assist, but usage rate accounts for point shots, free throws and turnovers. And, and, you know, to that end, I guess that, I guess that does kind of make sense that he was always under 20 or under all three years after Minnesota, the two in Utah and last year in Phoenix, he was over 20 in usage rate, which means he was more of a scoring option or a shooting option than he was a passing option. And we are, you know, to wrap it up, like we are assuming that Ricky Rubio is going to be more Utah and Phoenix, correct? Like that, yes. that, that's our whole premise yes. on this yes. of how this works. So with that, you would assume he plays more like that, which is in less of a situation where he's pounding the rock and is the guy making passes. Is he going to make passes still? Yes, but to get up to like the nine assists per game sort of thing, 
you got to be like fairly ball dominant. So I, I, I don't know what like the right thing is for him because I don't think just because there's Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker means in this team, be exactly like that, Ricky. I think there's somewhere like in the middle of be Minnesota version of you and be post Minnesota version of you. I think that's his optimized self. Um, and that is probably over six and a half, but are we going to see optimized version of Ricky Rubio year one back in Minnesota? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a fair line. I'll put it Just, like that. Despite everything yep. you said, he still had his second highest assist per game total last year with Phoenix. So I have he moved no... like more into like a third role there. Whereas Utah, it was like Mitchell, then him. Yeah. Right. In, in usage. So, so maybe that was the middle. It's, it's very interesting. And, like the one thing I look at is if he's going to be the a closer, I I genuinely wonder what his how different his role looks at the end of games versus when he comes off the bench and plays with like an Edwards or a Beasley. Right. When when you're on, when you're at the end of a game and let's just say hypothetically the end of game lineup typically is uh, Rubio, Russell, Beasley, Okogie, and Cat. We're going Okogie. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> He is the at best the fourth scoring option in that scenario, but if he's out there, you're not going to use him as just a spot up shooter. Um, I don't necessarily. He's not going to be ball dominant. I'm just. I'm struggling because I have no idea what his scenario looks like on this team in Phoenix. You had a clear cut number one option in Devin Booker. You had, I think, a fairly clear cut number two option in Kelly Oubre, and then you had DeAndre. Oh, Ayton. Yeah. And uh, who's a good scoring center in Minnesota? You have, I assume, cats. Cats the best player on the team. I don't think that's that can be disputed. Um, in terms of who's going to score more, I think it's again. I'm going back to it. I think Cat and Dela are going to be pretty neck and neck this year. Um, I think the the pairing of them is a higher caliber scoring duo than anything that they had in Phoenix. And then you add in Malik Beasley as sort of the equivalent to Kelly Oubre in terms of scoring production. Sure. Um, I could see his role being fairly similar. Um, with that, I don't know. Carl Anthony Towns is a better scorer than DeAndre Ayton. I think I could see his assist numbers staying up towards what they were last year, even in the same in the same role. So I am taking the over. That's my final thought. <laughs> I, I I would say it's close, and I, I think I would go over as well. Is that you went over too, David? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Six and a half seems a little low. I agree. Okay, we have one more. And I can't remember what it is. Hold on. Anthony Edwards, number one overall pick. A guy I've actually grown to like the more media I see of him. The, the video where he watches film with Mike Schmitz impressed me more than I expected. I wasn't huge on him coming into the draft. I'm starting to gain some admiration, or at least I'm very interested to see how he does. I have some optimism. Uh, with that said, his over-under for points per game is at 12.5. I think that's a pretty solid number if you're <laughs> if you're trying to get people to place bets because that's a pretty that's a pretty good number what that's do you guys a, think that's a very tasty number in what way i he's he's a he's a, he's a scorer i mean that's his thing so if he's coming off the bench and his job is to go in and learn how to score at the nba level and hopefully ideally eventually become a go-to scoring wing in the nba um I think 12.5 on a team with Russell and with Rubio and with Beasley makes that a tough number to reach, especially considering how raw he is. 
Um, but he's going to put shots up. I don't know how efficiently he'll score, but I think he's going to be pretty close to that number. I think I take, uh, I think I take the under, but it's, I've said it before. I I'm so bad at judging rookies as they come into the league. He could, he could average 15, 16 points a game. I don't know. Who knows? Um, I I'm, I'm going to take the under, but that's, that number is just really tough for me to make a gauge on Dane. You sound like you have a more clear cut thought than I do. Well, I just think it's like if we watched him at Georgia before any team he was selected at, you'd be like, okay, who knows how efficiently he's going to do it. But this dude is for sure going to score more than 12 points a game in the NBA. Like it's just his way, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that's how he plays basketball. He is, he, it's how he always has, you know, go back to high school, AAU, whatever. Like it's dude's a dude is a shot creator and scorer mm-hmm. like that for himself. Um, it would be hard, you know, to, it'd be hard to paint a sit, sit, situation where he's scoring under you know 12 or fewer points per game however this is kind of one of those situations where you've got three guys who are going to be trying to or are going to be getting who are better than him who are going to trying to be getting their shots in in D'Lo Cat and Beasley um I do think that it you know I think it's just his way about him that he's going to score he's going to maybe it'll be some bad looks I think you factor in COVID and there's going to be games where he plays more, where he takes mm-hmm. on a bigger unit in the second unit, or a bigger role in the second unit. I would feel pretty confident about over 12 and a half for Anthony okay. Edwards because he's the number one overall pick. Yep. So, so the point that I want to make that I think is fun with this is 12 and a half I think is a good number. And if he's going to play and he's going to score, he's probably going to go over that. How many points per game did Lou Williams average last year winning six man of the year? I have a feeling you know if you're asking us. I have no it's idea. Like, it was like 18. Mm-hmm. So, like, if he's scoring a lot over 12 and a half, is it suddenly we're talking about, like, six-man of the year, Anthony Edwards? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We disagree on him. Start. I think he's going to start. Like, maybe, start? Not, maybe not, like, the first few weeks. Like, I think Anthony Edwards, we have a 72-game season. That's an interesting over-under. How many games does Anthony Edwards start? I think like that, because that's – I, it's the usage with as it is with so yeah. many of these guys. Like, right. Again, man, it's a cop out for me, but if he if he shows out right away, yeah, he's gonna start. If he's as raw as scouts are saying, and this draft is as bad as people are saying, I know he's the number one pick, but you're not gonna start him if he isn't good right away. You're just not, especially when you have other options, and the Wolves have other options. Malik Beasley isn't an ideal three. Honestly, Okogi is probably not an ideal three. Uh, but if, if Anthony Edwards isn't good right away, he's not going to start. I hope I, I have, I'm optimistic that he's going to be good enough to start right away or not right away, but eventually, uh, is he going to be better than Andrew Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins rookie year? Just that like vacuum vacuum. I, well, he's going to be used completely differently. Uh, I don't know. So that's, I I don't know. I think, I think there's a, I think there's a plausible chance he will be worse than Andrew Wiggins' rookie year. Andrew Wiggins' yeah. rookie year was the only guy on the team, and Flip Saunders force-fed him in the post and made him put up close to or maybe over 20 points per game. That is not going to be Anthony Edwards' role. It's not. So yeah. he's going to have the advantage of having more talent around him and more spacing around him to do what he does. Andrew Wiggins did not have that luxury. He had Rubio, but he didn't have talent like D'Lo and Cat. Mm. Uh, so I think we're going to be able to see pretty quickly – what kind of player he could be 
Um, but I, I, I'm not sure Wiggins is a fair comparison. I think, I think it's interesting to look at end of the year Edwards. How will he compare to Wiggins um, last year? Uh, maybe that's right. not fair because Wiggins had five years under his belt, but Wiggins seemed to start to be used in a slightly different role. They were trying to take away mid-range jumpers and make it more drives and three-pointers. If Edwards it, can be a better it's version a good of point. It, it's, yeah. it's a good point. Like, how are they going to try and use Anthony Edwards? Like, mm-hmm. and, and you would think going off of the system, it's like, and, and guys who played last year, it would be most similar to Andrew Wiggins, right? Yeah. Where you're just kind of clearing the top and, and you, you have four guys out around him. Maybe you have Cat coming up to set the screen and, and letting him create off of there. Like, what other role is he? That, mm-hmm. than that if we just if you're trying to point to another player from last season it's if you just go okay but that would that was such a big part of the Timberwolves pie was the kind of clear out and point Wiggins right but yeah. I think that's also probably the best way to use Anthony Edwards and now as I just kind of talk this out I'm getting more and more to the idea of whether he starts or not I think he is staggered within that rotation by Saunders in a way that he can play that role where he is you know the isolation threat up top with the shooter spread around him. It's when one or both of Cat and D'Lo are off the floor. Maybe he's out there with Rubio. I, was I just think that's how you have to use him. I think that's how you have to use him because if, if you want to utilize him in that way, you want him on the floor with Rubio. Everyone keeps talking about his best case scenario is Donovan Mitchell. I've heard that a million, maybe not best case, but like that's that's a very high ceiling scenario for him is becoming Donovan Mitchell or something like that. Uh, yeah. And from what I've heard, Donovan Mitchell credits Rubio for helping him gain confidence right away. Uh, I, I doubt that's the main reason why they brought Rubio in. I think they just like him as a player, but that is absolutely an advantage. And if you want to use him in that way, um, you need Dude. Rubio out there. I think you if, talk to anybody in that you talk to anybody in that organization about about Rubio, the Jazz? Or about Anthony Edwards. No, no. the Timberwolves organization. The first thing they will bring up is Mitchell Rubio. Yep. Mitchell Rubio, so, the development there and the way they, they both played on the floor together. I, I don't know if it's the quality of the draft or if it's because Gerson Rosas and the whole front office loves Anthony Edwards. I, I don't know. Maybe you two know better than me, but they didn't, they weren't successful in trading for a third star. I don't know how valiant of an effort there really was. Maybe it was just Twitter going crazy. I assume that's more what it was. Right. Um, if Edwards can turn into his best case scenario, that is that is better than trading for a third star because then you have a third star quality scorer on a rookie contract for four years. Um, and it gives you, you a little bit more You just can't use him like a Kogi. You just, he can't be, right. he can't oh, just be a Kogi. Absolutely. You need to try to make him into his best case scenario. Otherwise, what are you doing? I totally agree with that. Exactly. That's, yeah. And to that end, I think that role scores more than 12 and a half points a game. I think you convinced me. I think you swayed me. You got me, Dan. Yes. <laughs> All right. And this is what we podcast. We work stuff out. No, no. This is what Wolves Wired was. I have a point. Dane makes a better point, and then I changed my mind. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that is a good place to wrap it up. Dane, David, I miss podding with you guys. This is a lot of fun. Um, you guys are both doing a lot of cool things. Check out everything David's doing at Prof Cedar. He's writing about the Timberwolves for a Wolf Among Wolves. He's writing about the Loons for zone coverage he's killing it he's in kansas city right now are you still in arby's in arby's parking lot i'm still sitting in the arby's parking lot let's let you get out of there dane i said i'd say it at the end of the pod too you are absolutely killing it um 
Blue Wire podcast, now the Dane, NBA, the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Follow him on Patreon. Subscribe to him on Patreon. For the love of God, just do it. If you're listening to this podcast, I hope you already do it. But if you don't, it's at patreon.com backslash Dane Moore NBA. Uh, guys, thank you so much for doing this. I, I, I truly appreciate it. Uh, this is a lot of fun. It's good to talk to you guys. I miss you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Yep. So also follow Brendan Hedke at B underscore Hedke NBA. I think that's what it is. I should probably check before I say anything else. Follow Brendan Hedke at, on Twitter. This is his podcast, the Wolf Among Wolves podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, so long. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.